Jewish Queen herself, your host, Dr. Denise Gotautis. And hi, everyone. Welcome to the Black Jewish Queen live chat. Today, we're going to have a guest, Zeb Porter. And uh, when I come back with, uh, after this brief break, um, hopefully we will establish Online. Zev is calling from the UK, and we are trying right now to figure out technical glitches. So what's happening is we definitely, definitely um, will return in a couple of seconds, and hopefully we will have established contact with our guests on today's program. So Please stay tuned, Um, and after these messages, we will return, okay? I think we should sing this. Let's try this.
We also have Obi Clark. He is um, oh. co-hosting today with me. And I would Hello, like, be, yes, before Zev, before Zev comes on, I would like to, um, I'm sorry, <laughs> I would like to um, just tell you a little bit more about Zev. Zev, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me, Denise? Yes. we. Can you hear him, Obi? Yes, I can hear you. Obi? Yes, I can hear him. I'm here. I can okay. hear Well, I want to talk a little bit about today's guest before he goes and tell us about himself and uh, about the discussion. Um, Zev Portner is a law lecturer at Birkinghamshire New University. Hi. Welcome. Um, Birkinghamshire, is that the correct pronunciation? United? Yes, it's back. Yeah, that's right, doesn't he? It's not so well known in London. Yeah, the United Kingdom, and he teaches a public employment law and criminal justice. He has also taught at Greenwich University and has given lectures to students studying on the international program. The MA in Conflict Resolution at Tel Aviv University. Zev lived in Israel for five years and qualified as an advocate. He has worked on a couple of major international law projects and did his law training in the offices of Gilead Shear 
and Co. Teamwork directly for Advocate Gleard, Gleard, I'm sorry, Gilead Shear, who was Israel's chief peace negotiator at the Camp David Peace Talks of 2000. He has also ghostwritten a speech and an article for a former labor member of the Knesset and deputy speaker of the Knesset, Hillik Barr, and Zev worked for 10 years in the British Parliament for former MP Dame Louise Ellman. During that time, he wrote a briefing for Tony Blair when he was Prime Minister and Jack Straw when he was Foreign Secretary. Zev is a member of the Kick It Out Working Group on Anti-Semitism, helping to establish the Watford, the Watford FC Jewish Supporters Group. He was the brainchild behind the first ever Hanukkah party at a Premier League club, and he has also written for the match day program of Watford Football Club about the Holocaust Memorial Day. Zav loves history, and he has lectured about the history of the Jews of Barbados, in which he has researched, and about the life and legacy of former British Prime Minister Benjamin Disraeli. He enjoys writing articles and has interviewed the spiritual leader of the Hebrew Israelites of Jerusalem, based in Demona, southern Israel, the late Benami. And right now, I just want to welcome Zev Potner to the Black Jewish Queen Live Chat. It is such an honor and a privilege to have you here, Zev. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Denise. I would say the privilege and an honor is on me. It's a privilege to be on the Black Jewish Queen, Queen Live Chat today. It's a real privilege for me. Well, so we, love having having you. <laughs> we love having you. And oh, well, oh being, so thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Now, <laughs> you were telling me, and I found it so interesting that you were uh, talking about um, the Jewish people of the Caribbean. Um, yes. What were were you uh because I know you had invited me to the um to a discussion and um it caught my attention and I was like wow you know this is really interesting I know that you uh lecture a lot of law students in the Caribbean as well <laughs> and I'm like wow I didn't know this about you said <laughs> yeah yeah well, we've got a number of law students who are from the who are obviously from the Caribbean. I've got a number of students in my in my university who are from Barbados, for example. But the research I did was mainly I looked at the history of the Jewish community of Barbados, and the oh, fact okay. of the matter is the the fact of the matter is the Jewish people have been in the Caribbean a lot longer than the United States of America. So, for example, the first 
or the history of the Jews in the Caribbean is a lot more ancient than the history of the Jews in the United States of America. So the first synagogue in the United States of America was in Truro in 1707. But in 1654, the first synagogue was established in the synagogue, the main synagogue was established in Bridgetown in Barbados, which means the Barbados Jewish community is a lot more ancient than the American Jewish community. And Jews have existed wow. in the Caribbean for many more years than they have existed in the United States of America. So, in fact, they, the Jewish community in, in Barbados predates the American Jewish community. In fact, the number of members of the Barbados community went on to found synagogues in the United States. That is now, so interesting. Wow. I mean, yeah, you know, you would never guess that. You would never know that. That's awesome. I mean, wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is very awesome. It's, it's, a, it's a historical fact. The oldest synagogue in the Americas is based in Bridgetown in Barbados called Nether Yisrael which means it's uh-huh. the of Israel synagogue. And that's the oldest synagogue in the whole of America established in 1654. In terms of the lecture, which was given by a good friend of mine, Dr. Joanna Newman, who's, who's written a seminal work about how the Caribbean gave refuge to Jewish refugees fleeing from Nazi Germany in the Second, in the second World War. At least 7,000 Jewish refugees found themselves in the Caribbean in the, in the Second wow. World War. Uh, escaped from the horrors of the Nazi regime. Awesome! So this wow, is very interesting. So it's a it's a large history of um, the a lot of the Jewish people and a lot of the Caribbean people because I mean I know this is an interesting topic because a lot of people in the Caribbean. Uh, or listen, they listen in on the Black Jewish Queen Live chat, and sometimes, you know, the history is not shared. And, Zev, I'm so um, happy that you are sharing the history of, you know, the Caribbean Jews, because you know what? I never, I really never, you know, knew the in-depth history of it. I didn't know that the Caribbean Jews, the you know, they outdate the American Jews, and then um, you never really hear the stories of how uh, the people of the Caribbean who are Jewish, they helped people uh, get saved from what was happening um, when Hitler was around in the Holocaust. So, you know, this is just, you know, it's very, wow, it's awesome. It's awesome. Yes, and, I yeah, I agree. There's not much uh, knowledge about this side of history, but it's something that should be told. Uh, it's, a, it's like a forgotten history. And, I mean, it's certainly something that should be told and and people should know about. But, you know, for example, the first, um, the person who led Barbados to independence, uh, Errol Barrow, he, right. he's got Jewish ancestry. He has Jewish ancestry. You know, he was proud of the fact they had Jewish ancestry. The first he led Barbados to independence, and was, I believe, the first prime minister of Barbados. Wow! Yes, Jewish ancestry. That's awesome. so, so I think there are lots of interesting, um, there are lots of interesting connections that really need to be more explored and told about, which haven't been told about. He was the first prime minister of Barbados, Errol Barrow, and he, he's a descendant of the Barrow family, which in in the in the Sephardi community of Barbados. Okay. 
And you know, Zev, I know I'm jumping all over the place because I'm like, oh, Zev, you know we talk. We talk normally like we are in a regular conversation. Um, I wanted to let you know who's on air with us. Um, actually, we are joined with um, one of the hosts of the chat reel, and he's a Motown alumni. It's Billy. He wanted to join the discussion. He's with us. And, Obi, I know you have questions, and I'm so sorry. <laughs> I don't want to pause the conversation no either. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we are joined by Obi Clark as well. And, um, yeah, because, Dave, I wanted to talk more, too, about, what you have done and what you what you've done because um um your um bio you know when you came on a lot of things caught my eye and i'm like you know this is um really impactful how you are working uh against anti-semitism and um your part um as a chief peace negotiator at the camp david peace talks of uh 2000 do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Um, it, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. Def- it was definitely not my part to the chief peace negotiator. But I worked for a guy called Advocacy Lad Chair in Israel. Okay, yeah, Advocate. Okay, He was a chief peace negotiator. He's a very good friend of mine, and he was the chief peace negotiator at the Camp David peace talks, which were hosted by President Clinton at the time in 2000. And he was trying yeah. to negotiate. He was negotiating with the PLO over such things like the future of Jerusalem, the 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 two-state solution. So he was negotiating. He's a very good friend of mine. I was privileged enough to to undertake my training under his tutelage in Israel when I became an advocate. I did one year's training, but I learned a lot from him. And he he's somebody who I respect greatly, and he tried his best to bring peace or to bring a, a more hopeful resolution to relations between Israelis and Palestinians, because Israeli uh, delegation under his under, under Prime Minister Barak and Gilad Sheh, they made, in my view, a very wide-reaching wide, 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 wide offer to the right. for the Palestinian side to come to an agreement. Unfortunately, it was rejected by the leadership of the PLO at the Bayez Right. And this is right. why, and this is why, this is why in, in Bill Clinton's memoirs, uh-huh. He had a phone call just as just as he was leaving office. He had a phone call from Yasser Arafat. And Yasser Arafat said to Bill Clinton, he said to Bill Clinton, "You're a great man." And Bill Clinton turned around and said, "No, I'm not. I'm a failure. You've made me a failure." Because he knew oh. what the what the Israeli camp David under under Barack and people like Gilad Sherry went beyond the, what what was expected at the time to try and resolve the conflict with the Palestinians. Wow. And you know, you would never know that that's something else. And you know, the politics that's going on now in Israel, what are you, what is your take, what is your feeling on that? I've seen a lot of um, the protests. What do you think of, uh, do you think that Netanyahu will work things? (laughs) It was just, you know, I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously slightly. I was a member of the Israeli Labour Party, so I was supporting a party that was in opposition to right. Prime Minister Netanyahu. I, I am obviously, when you live in the United Kingdom, you, you obviously your politics is based in Britain, and that has the biggest effect on you. But obviously, I've got family. My brothers live in Israel. My mother's live. My mother lives in Israel. 
I'm very right. concerned, obviously, about the direction that Israel's going in at the moment, especially the, the attempt to uh, basically pass a law, which if, if the Supreme Court has a decision, you can pass a law announcing a Supreme Court decision by one vote in the Knesset. And that, that leads to the, the problems of, in terms of checks and balances. Plus, I'm very concerned about the nature of the government. I thought the previous government was under Nathalie Bennett and Yair Lapid were trying to make some strides. They had the first, you know, they had an Arab party trying to bring people together. And now we've right. got a, a government, you know, the Likud is not the same Likud as 20 years ago, and you've also got some very extreme elements in that government. And I think that's not a good situation for the Middle East as a whole. You know, but on yeah. the other hand, there are also a lot of, uh, despite everything, there's also a lot of positive things that go on behind the scenes. For example, I was reading recently that only Oman has now opened its airspace to Israeli civilian carriers. There's also a lot of developments, as you know, between the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain and Israel. So oh. it's a mixed picture, but I'm concerned about the direction that Israel's going in at the moment. But as I say, yeah. the only people that really can influence that direction are the citizens of the state of Israel, ultimately. Right. Yeah, it is. It's it's an interesting um, development. You know, every day, um, <laughs> every day, you know, there is something. I mean, you know what? Um, when after living in Israel for those seven months that I did, and mm-hmm. I plan on going back, um, I had um, I still get those red alerts <laughs> whenever you know they are trying to you know throw those um, things. The, you know the rockets and stuff over there, and it's a shame. Yeah, no, yeah, and I agree with you. I mean, I I was in Israel in two. Yeah, I think well, two. I, when I Israel, when I was in Israel, there was in two conflicts, two or three conflicts that happened in Gaza, and I distinctively remember in 2014 when there was a missile attack that came over to Tel Aviv, and of course you you know the the um, the Iron Dome shoots down the missiles. Obviously, uh-huh. and the problem is that the problem is that when it shoots down the missiles, the debris comes at such a fast rate that if it hits you on the head, you can actually pass away and die. Wow! So we had a situation wow. where, where I was living in South Tel Aviv. We had a situation whereby the sirens go off and we went into the main landing. It just so happened that there was an African guy who was just it was just across the road. He must be an, a migrant worker. He was standing outside a flimsy tree. So this guy oh, wow. said to me in Hebrew, this guy said to me, he, the sirens go off, and instead of coming into a safe structure, he, he stood under a very flimsy tree. So this guy said to me in Hebrew, that guy over there wants to die. So I immediately recognized that he didn't understand Hebrew. So oh, I, shouted wow. at him, I shouted at him in English. I said, get over here unless you want to die. And he Whoa. ran over as quickly as possible because... It's not so much a direct hit, but once the iron gun takes out the missile, it's a debris that comes at such a fast pace. If you get hit by yeah. that debris, you, you could be you're dead basically. So, luckily enough, the de- the the debris landed about 400 meters away in, in a petrol station, and no one was injured. But these are the things oh, that go wow. on that people don't realize sometimes in in the in the Western world. Wow, <laughs> you wow you wow well you've had some adventures there. Um, I know, Obi, did you um, have any questions for Zev? 
Oh yeah, sure, you definitely. Were... How you doing? How you doing today, Zev? Hello. How you doing, Ozzy? Welcome. Pleased to meet you, even though we're far away. Thank you, brother. I just want to let you know I appreciate your work. Uh, I appreciate your work giving a voice to Jews of color's history. You know, uh, I'm also of Caribbean descent. Uh, Well, you can say I'm from, uh, my family come from Panama, you know, and I trace my Jewish lineage from Mm -hmm. there like four generations ago uh, before my great-great-grandfather came from uh, Panama during the Panama Canal building. So I, um, I want to ask you, so you're from London, right? London town? Yeah, I'm from London, but I'm living in Wickham at the moment. But, yes, I lived a lot of my life in London. That's right. Okay, so it's like the city of the flats and stuff. You know, uh, my son's mother, she went to school, art school out there. And uh, she told me about the beans on toast and everything that, you know, that's uh, that's the rave out there. So, from, from I just, and I just want to redirect my question to this, uh, being that she went to school, she told me the quality of the system out there. Do you still feel like London is like a, a major learning center like it used to be before Brennix? And uh, is it different from the times you went to school out there or when you was actually um, living out there? Yeah, yes, it's a, that's, a, that's actually a very interesting question. I mean, uh, I still think London has has still got the attraction in terms of, you know, international students. Now where where there was a difference was that if you were coming from the if you're coming from the United States of America, you'd always have to pay international fees. And when we were part of the EU, the EU used to pay the members of the EU used to pay the same fees as British students. Now that's changed because we left the EU. So right. the EU students are now paying international fees. But what I would say is that there's, it's still very much attraction. London's a major centre of learning. The academia is one of the biggest contributors to the gross domestic product of the of the of the country generally. The United Kingdom contributes a great amount of uh, GDP, and we've got a lot of students from all around the world. And it's still considered to be one of the best places to come and learn in this country. And the, the higher education system is still very much well respected around the world. Um, in the United Kingdom. So, yes, that, 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 that is still carrying on. Despite Brexit, uh, the, the student numbers are still, the international students have not been slight, a slight decline after Brexit, but it's now stabilised. And there's still a demand for students from America, from Europe, for example, to go to Oxford University, the London School of Economics. And for some students, for example, to go to the universities, including my university, Buckinghamshire New University, we have foreign students as well. Not too great a number, right. but we've got a, a, a little amount. But there is that that tra- that pool. I mean, the, the degree in the U- United Kingdom is still very well respected. Because you know, I, I just want to. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, that's finished. I finished that bit. The, oh, oh, yeah. Okay, so yeah. So I, I, I just want to use that as a segue to uh, talk about your law, your law uh, lecturing, um, because that's what the, is that where you went to school at for uh, for law for your law degree or somewhere else? I went somewhere else. I did my law degree at Greenwich University, which is in South East London, uh, and I also okay. did my uh, master's degree in, in international law at Queen Mary College, which is part of London University. So that was they, they were both in. I did both of my degrees in London in terms of law. So yes, that's correct. Yes, it's 
I know that, yeah, the conflict resolution, the uh, master's degree was in Tel Aviv University. And did you know, because you were sharing with me your experiences while you lived in Israel and um, you, you know, you chose to um, go back to uh, the United Kingdom. Um, but I know, you know, I have uh, friends that did the same thing. One of my uh, friends, they are lawyers as well. They're lawyers, and um, he's a lawyer, and they lived in Israel for like a little bit, and they opted to come back to the United States, as, you know, here, and because of yeah. the, um, the cost of living. And, I, you know, when I was there, I, I, seen, um, I seen the – you know, experiences. Some people love it and some people don't. <laughs> it's just, you know, the lifestyle. I, 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 I mean, yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's more to do with the fact that it's very difficult in Israel to make a living. It's not, you know, if you come from a Western country, firstly, the salary is a lot lower. But even then, you find, you find it difficult to find work. So, for example, I struggled because unless you have a native Hebrew, it's very difficult to break in the legal profession unless you've worked in, like, corporate law in the UK, for example, or, or commercial law in America or corporate law. Then you may be able to find some work with American companies. But I never had that background. I had a background working for a member of parliament and, and lecturing, so I didn't have that background. Now, right. my, brothers who, who, my brothers who live in Israel, they're fortunate. One, one of my brothers works for an accountancy firm, an English accountancy firm, which is based in... Tel Aviv. And right. all his clients are from England. Or even he's oh. even got some clients from the So so they're they're like they're basically based in Tel Aviv, but they're working predominantly with English clients. And also American clients. My brother said to me he he met with a client, they met here halfway between the states, they met in London. Because the uh-huh. the, the, the Walt Disney, for example, was one of his clients. So he they met them here. Or my other brother works for a marketing department for a, like a uh, like a major betting company in the UK, but they do the marketing out in Israel. So their jobs, you right. know, this is what the consequences of globalization is that you can be working in one country, but all your clients are based in another country, and, it, and then you that's the way you, some people make a living after make aliyah. But if you haven't got yeah. that luck, it's very difficult to make a living. Yeah, you know, because it's like a more so of a remote work. You, yeah, you know, so, yeah, you know, yeah, so that's, that's interesting. I wanted to talk more, but I know I have to take a break, but I wanted to talk more when we come back, Zev, more about your uh, Kick It Out working group on anti-Semitism. I wanted to, I wanted to know. I'm sure the listeners, they want to know a little bit more about that. But before you tell us, um, we are going to go for a required commercial break. And I will, we will all be right back. Shalom, everyone. This is the host of the Black Jewish Queen live chat, Dr. Denise Gattadis. I am here to share with you and to announce on-demand best-selling book written by the owner, creator, and the writer of The Matrix and the Terminator, Oscar Award-winning Sophia Stewart. If you love her movies, 
you will love her books. And here is a list of those books that are now available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. The first book is The Third Eye. The second book is The Mother of the Matrix. The third book is Matrix Trivia. And her latest book, which is the fourth book, is The Evolution of Conscience, Cracking the Genetic Code. This is the Matrix 4 book. These books are on demand. Order your copy today. They are now available at Barnes & Noble and Amazon Booksellers.
Introducing the Black Jewish Queen Live Chat with the Black Jewish Queen herself, your host, Dr. Denise Gotautis. Hi, everyone. This is CRS Radio, the Black Jewish Queen Live Chat, of course. And we have a special guest with us, Zev Potner. And Zev, like I said, we are just so ecstatic at having you. And uh, we are back from um, commercial break, of course. And um, we are joined with Obi Clark, Billy Tappan, and Ania Faber. And um, during the commercial break, Zev, um, Anya revealed to me that something had happened in Israel. Uh, yeah, that'd be interesting to know. Yeah, uh, Anya, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Hi. Hi, hi. Great having you. <laughs> Anya, she's coming hey, up Anya. to the Caribbean radio, and this is Anya. <laughs> yeah, go on, Anya. No, I was just letting you guys know there was another terror attack. Unfortunately, two brothers were killed, attacked innocent innocent civilians by a terrorist today. Poor family lost two children. Oh, wow. Oh, no. Yeah. And things like I mean, this are just happening in Israel. Yeah. Let me see. I'm I'm pulling it up there. <laughs> yeah. I just reposted it on my I story. The story. So, you know. I mean, I think yeah, it's interesting, um, and I don't know what – I don't know. Did you – because I, you know, I cut, it cut in and out when I was listening. But did you guys talk about yesterday being that day of hate uh, against Jews? Like, I wonder um, if that was more just in the U.S. or if it was being called for worldwide. I don't know if that's talking now, about it. Yeah. Now, we were just about to get on because um, before the break, I was getting ready to ask Zev about, Kick It Out Working Group. And Kick mm. It Out Working Group, it is on anti-Semitism. Um, is helping to establish the Watford FC Jews, FC Jewish Supporters Group. And you were a brainchild for that, Zev. Um, would you like to share more about that with us? Yeah, yes, I'll be, more, I'll be more than happy to. Firstly, I know the I know in the answer, in answer to Anya's question, the day of hate was not something that was happening in Europe. It was purely a United States thing, and I understand it became uh, a, a day. It was a flop in the end, and it was actually became a day of unity for American Jews. But in terms of in terms of um, the kick out working group, for, for, from about the 1970s, there has been a problem of racism directed against black footballers in the country. And so an organization called Kick It Out was established to combat uh, racism against black footballers. Now, oh. in previous years, in previous years, and there was a lot of racism in the 1970s and 80s, and there, there was many campaigns which have been proven to be a great success. There's also, obviously, unfortunately, in, in um, the, at football, there has been anti-Semitism as well over the years anti-Semitic chances. So Kick It Out has, is the leading organization fighting not only racism against black footballers, but also uh, in support of LGBT rights and also uh, 
fighting against anti-Semitism. Now, last year, a working group by Kick Out was established on anti-Semitism, chaired by Lord Mann, who's the independent advisor on anti-Semitism. And I happened to be, because of my work at Watford Football Club, I was asked to join the working group. And we meet to discuss various issues and put various proposals. But in terms of my work that I've done specifically at Watford Football Club, because I work at the club on some of the matches as a steward, I was right. able to get the club to I was able to get the club to adopt the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance definition on anti Semitism. I also wanted to do something positive. So Together with a number of colleagues, we established the Watford FC Jewish Supporters Group. And from that flowed the idea of having a Hanukkah party. And Watford became the first football club in the, in the Premier League. Now we're no longer in the Premier League, now we're in the Championship. But at the time we were in the Premier League, to actually have a Hanukkah party. And we had another Hanukkah party this year. It was the first time ever done by a major football club in the United oh, Kingdom. Which was a great success. That's awesome. <laughs> well, I know everybody is getting ready for Purim. Yeah, yeah I know. We're not having a, we're not, we're not having a Purim party, but there'll be certainly a lot of Purim parties by Habad and other organizations in the UK next week. Oh, We have a reception at the House of Lords, though, to just to honor those on uh, the kick out for his stance on anti-Semitism, and there'll be representatives from Chelsea Football Club and uh, Borussia Dortmund in Germany, all of us coming together with the same purpose to try as much as we can to eradicate anti-Semitism for football in the United Kingdom, because unfortunately there is still anti-Semitic chanting at certain football matches, uh, oh. and also there's certain problems. So it, is, it still exists. Unfortunately, wow. but we're trying our best for education. For education, yeah. things can uh, develop for the better. I mean, the clubs that kick out have also been doing a lot of training into into actually what is anti-Semitism amongst, for example, the staff of various football clubs. So, together with the community security trust and kick out, they've run they've run various training sessions for staff of football clubs throughout the country, from Liverpool to Man City to Watford. So there's extensive training going on for staff as well. Now, I wanted to ask you, Zev, is there is anyone in the UK, in Liverpool, where you do the Kick It Out, is there a way that they could contact the organization? Or do you have, like, a contact information if they wanted to join and help out with Pick it out or... Yeah, I mean, I mean, but like, firstly, if they want to, they can contact me directly if they want to help out. But, I mean, once again, it's, it's something that's in the UK based. I mean, uh, right, Kick It Out right. got an email address. You go Kick It Out org, they've got an email address. But if anyone in the UK, if anyone's listening in the UK and they want to be involved in, in tackling racism or anti-Semitism in football, I'd be more than happy for them to contact me. And do you, um, you could, if you want, um, or let's see, they could come to um, the Black Jewish Queen Life Chat group, and you could give me the contact information, or you could give a number or an email address if you'd like on air. And um, because this is going to be our live, this is going to be like, you know, a live recording where people can go back to, and you know, 
get the information. Yeah, I'm happy for, as I say, for them to, to obviously my email address and I'll put them in touch with the relevant people because I've only got the email address for the chief executive of the organisation and it's not something I'm going to give out live on air. But nevertheless, if anyone wants to get involved in Kick Out, I'll be happy for them to contact me directly with my email address. Okay. Which you can put in the chat. If you, have, if you put oh, it in yeah. the chat, I'll be happy with them. How about we post you it know? on the group? <laughs> I think yeah. we, if, if you, you want, we will. Group, yeah. We'll post we'll post it more than happy for people to contact me and we can, we can take it from there. Uh, oh, I mean, There's in different uh, clubs and different supporters throughout the United Kingdom, so there may be some people listening from the UK today who may want to get involved in this campaign. Awesome. And now I another question, and I, I, I don't want to hog out the question, guys, so if, if you have any question, hey, just bring it forth. But this is another one that I uh, was about, you know, your bio. Um, you had known um, the Demona uh, Hebrew Israelites of Jerusalem, um, and you known yeah. uh, Dan and me. What was your experience? Okay, I, I the I've known the the Hebrew Israelites of Demona community since 1994. I think it's been the third time in 1994 when I met one of their spokesperson called Yaffa Bat Gabriel. But yeah. when I went to Israel in the late, I would say, I interviewed Ben and me in 2003 and 2004. Now, I personally was very fond of, of leader Ben and me, Manhik Ben and me. I didn't always agree with everything the community does, but I had a real fondness for him. i never forget when I met him for the first time, he greeted me and said, Shalom v'bracha, Shalom and may you be blessed. Now... Oh. The community, the community's been there now for over since 1969. I understand only today I was reading they won a court case in Israeli court today. Uh-huh. That they likely they were attempted to deport like 30 of their members, and I think they've had this success in the courts today, which was only came out today. So, right. whilst some things I don't agree with them, they are an integral part of the state of Israel now. And the fact of the matter is that they voluntarily and send their children to serve in the Israeli Defence Forces. And this is right. something that Ben Ami himself, he was very keen on this to happen. Ben Ami told me on at least two occasions that he loved, that we were in several parts of Israel and we'll do anything to defend this country. And therefore, that's why, you know, some of the most committed soldiers in the Israeli Defence Forces come from the Hebrew Israelite community of Demona. That, that is just a fact. And so they do serve in the leading units in the army, and they're making a contribution. Whereas I live in the United Kingdom, but these yeah. the people that go to the Israeli Defense Forces, the Hebrew Israelites, they're making a contribution to the security of the state of Israel. And that is a fact. Mm-hmm. You know, that and is more a fact. People, more people need to know that because um, they're, yeah, the Demona uh, Hebrew Israelites. Um, um, I knew a few of them, and I, I've, I've seen with my own eyes a lot of the Demona Hebrew Israelites, they serve in the Israeli Defense Force, and I'm so glad that um, you um, brought that, brought that to everyone's attention because yeah, yeah. Um, there's a branch that has a really negative, uh, a negative uh 
you know, it's a negative viewpoint about the Hebrew Israelites here in the United States, especially when you maybe go to Times Square, maybe go to certain parts, and you get these guys um, yelling at people. And, uh, you know, it is a totally different uh, type of Hebrew Israelites from the United States to the people that are in Demona, Israel, just a totally, you know, different group. And um, the I could, I could say that um, the Hebrew Israelites that I met in Israel, um, they um, they 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 love people, they love everybody, and they kind of they were you know they they're people born in Israel. Um, they they they're a very positive uh, group. They try to put a positive uh, reinforcement on uh, the people, uh, you know, in Demona as far as, you know, the attitude. And they are friendly with everyone, and they are some very, very helpful people. Um, I'm, I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm so glad, Deb, that yeah. you, you know, you brought that. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not, I agree with you. I mean, I wrote a couple of articles about the Hebrews and lots of Demona. As you say, they're very different. You know, in the United States, you've got very different. You've got different groups in the Hebrew Israelites. Some of them are more close to Judaism. Some of them are anti-Semitic as well, unfortunately. Right. As you know, the London yeah. Times Claire, they're, they're racist, they're anti-Semitic. But the Hebrew Israelites of Demona, they're a totally different community. They're a community now. They live in Israel for 50 years. They're part of the population of the state of Israel. They they've integrated into the country to a lesser or greater degree. They serve me the idea, and yes, they have. They've moved in a way beyond race to a certain extent, in the sense that they regard themselves as part of the wider Jewish yeah. or Hebrew family. Well, even they said that maybe, you know, even Ben and me once said to me, you know, I'm a Jew, you're a Jew. But at the end of the day, they see the Israelis, whether they see themselves as Hebrews or Jews, they see the Israeli, the wider Israeli society now, as their brothers and sisters. And that's a yeah. fundamental difference. And the fact they lived in Israel, of course, when you live in Israel, you're going to your experience of life is going to be different from living in, say, the United States of America, for example, because Israel is yeah. not the United States of America. So you have a different experience. So I hope, as I say, they they stop these deportations. That they will, you know, as I said to Ben on me once, I hope your community goes from strength to strength. So I think they're here, they're there. They've been there for 50 years, and they're going to be permanently part of the state of Israel. Yes, they should be integrated and, in, in my opinion, because of the fact that they are there, they serve in the IDF, and their kids, the kids are born uh, within the culture, and some of the kids, um, they, some of them um, just speak Hebrew, um, you know, I've seen, um, they speak Hebrew just, that's the first language. English, you know, could be the second language. And, um, yes, um, they are contributors to um, Israeli society, um, and very much so. I agree with you. Because, yeah, you do You do have uh, the ones, some of the Hebrew Israelites here, uh, they believe that some people are uh, Jews based upon the color of skin, which, you know, that's what I've spoken with everybody else. Hey, I totally disagree because Israel is scattered to the four corners. How could that be? <laughs> so, you know, when you go to Israel, you're going to see Jewish people from everywhere. I'm talking everywhere. Every country you can think of. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 
it's a it's a it's an interesting the Jewish people is a very diverse people from all around the world. It reminds me of a couple of stories if I may say. There's one story where somebody from the Hebrew Israelites community actually was went went was in, in America, you know, went went to the Orthodox, you know, became Jewish, and they said somebody said to you, really Jewish, she's African American, and she said, where does it say in the Tanakh what does a Jew look like? It doesn't. Jews are a diverse yeah. people from all around the world. We we come from different parts of the world. In the same way, there was a uh, there I say a, a Jew from Bermuda who is a Jew of color, and somebody he was in Brixton, and someone from the Nation of Islam tried to sell him a newspaper, the final call. And he said that he wasn't interested in buying a newspaper because he regards the nation of Islam and Farrakhan as anti-Semitic, or at least Farrakhan. And the, the yeah. newspaper sellers immediately turned around and said to him, you don't look Jewish. So, uh-huh. there is, you know, that's another thing. But there isn't such a thing as a Jewish look. Jew, Jews look the same as the people that live amongst, and also diverse. So the Jewish community is a very diverse community. And I believe that in our lifetime, maybe not in our lifetime, but in the future, maybe in a hundred years, the Jewish community will be known much more as a diverse Jewish community around the world. So, for example, if you and I were living a hundred years ago, yeah. and I was living in America or in the UK, we wouldn't have heard about Ethiopian Jews. That wouldn't be on our radar. But now we've got lots of those yeah. members of the Ethiopian Jewish community who, for, within our lifetime, have been reunited with the Jewish world. And I believe there will be other communities, for example, in Africa, possibly in in the Caribbean, who will eventually be reunited with the Jewish community. For example, in Uganda. For example, you've got a Jewish community in yes, Uganda. In yes, this is what's happened. And, and it takes time for them to be recognized. But I believe that maybe I won't be here to see it. But in 100 years' time, people will be talking about how diverse the Jewish community is in terms of well, right. Zev, you, you are alive to see it, Zev, because when I lived in Beersheba, I'm going to tell you, there were a lot of Ethiopian, Sudanese, Jews. I even seen in the Beersheba area uh, Jews from China, even the mm. Philippines. Philippines. Beersheba has got to be the most diverse. Uh, place of southern Israel, um, you get every nationality. I've seen um, um, Eshel Abraham, um, the kind of the the um, shul that I was attending in Beersheba. Um, there were Ukrainian Jews. There were Jews from Brazil. As a matter of fact, Rabbi Even Ben David, he was uh, from. I think um, over there in Brazil, you know, southern South America. And I met a whole lot of wonderful people. (laughs) And we had um, Shavolt, and Shavolt, I hope I pronounced it right. We had those where you, um, you know, stay up all night and enjoy uh, reading the Torah, learning from the Torah all night. Um, There were uh, English classes for learning the Torah all night. There were Spanish classes for learning the Torah all night. We even had Ukrainian classes for learning the Torah all night. 
and we were sitting up eating all of these cheese goodies, cheesecake, you know. It was just so fun. I had so much fun. <laughs> but it, but, but um, Beersheba is so diverse. When you go uh, to visit Israel, says, uh, swing by the Beersheba area, the market, the big. Big was one of my favorite uh it was a bunch of um, supermarkets, bunch of stores and everything to go to, uh, like a shopping plaza. And, you know, everybody was so helpful. And in Bersheva, you always had someone who spoke English. <laughs> so, and, yeah, um, yeah. It's also, it's got to be remembered that the Israel is made up of people from over 100 countries, 100 nationalities. So in yeah. that sense, it's a very complex country. But I think in terms of actually what the perception how a Jew looks like, it's going to be there, there will be changes in the perception within the next 50, 50 years. So you're right. But Beersheba, there are lots of places in Israel that are very diverse and people are not yeah. aware of this. And Beersheba is... Yes, yeah. it is. And now, I know that you did a research on British Prime Minister Benjamin Disraeli. Um, mm. you, what did you find out? What was the fascinating part about him? Well, Benjamin Disraeli is one of the most um, interesting prime ministers this country's ever had. He was obviously he was born he was born Jewish. Um, he was circumcised in the oldest synagogue of the kingdom, Bebis Mark. And then his father had a falling out with the synagogue elders. And at the age of 12, he took, the Israeli was taken out from um, the synagogue. And in fact, his father converted both of his children to Christianity. Uh, oh. But he still, he still started. Despite all this, he suffered a lot of anti-Semitism throughout his life. Still regarded as the first uh, ethnic minority prime minister this country has ever had. And uh, the prime minister, as you know, the country now is Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, who's mm -hmm. the first. He's the first prime minister, the first prime minister, Asian prime minister this country has ever had. Um, mm -hmm. But he made reference to Disraeli, and he said he 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 made reference to Disraeli, and he said he he said he referred to Disraeli as the first minority prime minister uh, that this country's ever had. But there's a number of interesting things about Disraeli in terms of his you know his his yeah. politics. Um, but he suffered a lot of anti-Semitism throughout his career. Um, yeah. <laughs> You know, and, yeah. and he rose, he rose at the British poll. So, for example, as I said, Richard Sunak said, I may be the first UK, UK first Asian prime minister, but we had our first Jewish prime minister 150 years ago. So, despite the fact he was his father converted to Christianity, he's still viewed as the first Israeli prime minister. I mean, the first Jewish prime minister, Israeli. Uh, oh, when Barack yeah. Obama when Barack Obama became president of the United States, Mitt Robinson, who's a political broadcaster, said in Victorian times it was just as remarkable for a man born a Jew to become prime minister. 
and and he's mm-hmm. one of the most unlikely prime ministers ever since. But uh, one of the most unlikely people to become prime minister. He did not go to university. Throughout his life, he was deeply in debt. He he was a bankrupt throughout his life, and he was he was deeply eccentric. Uh, in terms of the Jewish aspect, he was very much he helped pass the uh, Jewish disqualifications bill because up until eighteen fifty eight, oh. you couldn't be. You couldn't become a member of parliament here. Up until 1858, you couldn't become a member of parliament unless you swore on the New Testament. And of course, as Jews, they, Jewish people were elected were not prepared to swear on the New Testament, for example, uh, Rothschild. Right. And Israeli right. helped to pass the bill to allow Jews to enter into parliament in, from 1858. Oh. So the first. You know, so that's very important in role because now the fact that we've got Jewish MPs is largely due to the Israelis um, arguing for the bill, persuading members of parliament on either side of the house that to vote for the bill, and that's why we've got Jewish MPs today. But he was a very interesting character. The the most, right. and he was a pro, he was also a proto-Zionist, Benjamin Israeli. In 1851, he he wrote he stated to El Darby. So he, he thought this would be a good idea to establish a Jewish homeland in, in Palestine. And he said, a man who would carry out this out would truly be held as the next Messiah, the true saviour of his people. So he was a proto-Zionist, even before Herzl was. But my favourite story about Disraeli was that he had, he, had lot, he had lots of debts throughout his life. And so mm-hmm. there, was a, there was a lady who... Who wrote to him, and he, she was also of Jewish ancestry who converted to Christianity. And she said she admired the fact that the Israelis spoke so highly of the Jewish people. So she said to him, "If I, if you allow me to be buried next to, if you allow me to be buried next to you, I'm going to when I pass away, I'm going to leave in my will a certain amount of money." So oh. he agreed to this. So she part, she she predeceased Israeli. And so she left him like twenty thousand pounds, which was a lot of money in those days, and helped him to pay off his debts on the on the mortgage he had on on his stately home. And he's right. and she's actually buried next to Disraeli and his wife Marianne is Disraeli in uh, High Wycombe. Yes. So he was a very well, interesting character. Very interesting. Wow. Now I want to invite everyone else to chime in, Zev, if you don't mind, and ask you questions if they'd like. Um, I'm very impressed with everything uh, that you're sharing with us today. And um, I want to invite Billy, um, Obi, and Anya. If you guys want to ask Zev anything, uh, he'd be happy to answer. Anyone? Hey, Zeth, it's Obi. <laughs> Hi, Obi, yeah. Hey, hey, brother. Uh, I, I would like to, um, I, I, your, your law lecturing uh, background is just very in- interesting to me. So I, I just wanted to, to, I just wanted to ask, you know, what is your legal philosophy and, like, how do you apply it to your various works that you participate in? Well, I think the first thing, you know, as a law lecturer, you need to obviously try and put different points of views across in, in the class. Um, legal philosophy is try to obviously try and find a uh, use the law 
to bring justice to everybody. It doesn't always happen, as you know, but that's clearly my philosophy, is trying to bring justice for everybody using the law, and it, it can be successful. In terms of the actual teaching, I very much enjoy teaching. This is, this is my passion in life. I enjoy imparting information to students and, and seeing students from different backgrounds that, that develop in a university life and hopefully going on to becoming lawyers and barristers and other, uh, obviously, lawyers. And here we have, like, barristers and solicitors. But to see people flourish, and I think, you know, one of the greatest things that you can do in life is to impart information and to enable minds to be creative in terms of their thinking, to enable people to think in a, in a manner that is, you know, legally, to think legally in a manner, how to apply the law to various situations, how they can apply the law in, in their own lives. So, for example, I think one of my subjects I particularly enjoy teaching is employment law because everyone at the end of the day will be working. So you need to know your rights under employment law. What's a contract of employment? When, under what circumstances can you bring a claim for unfair dismissal or sex discrimination or race discrimination? I like the practical side. So I give the students, when I teach them employment law, I, look, I give them tools not only for their, the course they're in, but they can apply those tools that they learn in employment law in their future careers, whether it's in law or outside of law. Hmm. That's awesome. That's so can I? Oh, sorry. Go yeah. ahead, Denise. Go ahead. Oh no, no, I'm not. I'm not talking. I'm just. I'm like oh, I'm okay. agreeing oh. that it's so, very interesting. <laughs> so, so okay. So just one more question. So, do you think the law is there? Any laws in Britain that you think, or United Kingdom? I mean, is there any laws in United Kingdom that you think would be useful in America, or vice versa, based off your experience in Israel? You know, since you tra- transverse all these different continents. That you you seen? I certainly think one. I certainly think I think one of the problems you have. You know, there's a real problem in terms of of the issue of guns in America because of the constitution. Exactly. You know, in order to in order to in order to get rid of guns, you have to have a, a two-thirds vote in the Senate, which is not going to happen. Now, we we had a situation many years ago where we had like. Uh, they were like pistols, and there was a there was a massacre in Dunblane. And so they initially they got in that they got in uh, they passed the law here to say you ban all handguns, and it was banned because you see we have an unwritten constitution in the United Kingdom. You have a written constitution. I believe your your constitution is a bit too rigid. We we could okay. actually get rid of the guns <laughs> if we wanted to without a problem. They weren't it's not a political thing. Yeah. I think for example. It's a major thing, but here, you know, that's not an issue because you pass a law in Parliament because we've got unwritten constitution, you can ban guns. In America, because of your constitution, you can't do that. I think the issue of abortion, for example, it, it, abortion here, the fundamental difference is that in the United Kingdom, abortion was legalised in, in the British Parliament through an Act of Parliament, a statute. In America, it came through case law, Roe and Wade, which has been overturned now uh, amongst and states have a, can decide what they want to do now. But, I mean, if a, yeah. an act has been passed in Congress legalizing a right of abortion at a certain period of time, then you wouldn't have these problems. I think the other thing I have a problem with Americans is you have a total freedom of speech in America. So right. you can get, for example, neo-Nazis marching in America spewing hatred, and they don't get prosecuted unless they engage in actual violence. 
in the United Kingdom, you know, freedom of speech is not absolute, it's limited. So you can't, you, you, you can be prosecuted. You can't just go walking in the street and shouting anti-Semitic or racist abuse because that can lead to a prosecution. Well, that's so, good. Yeah. One of the things I like about the American system, though, is that you, you're much more decentralized. For example, you've got the New York, New York Assembly, for example. Uh, we, we're much more centralized, power is centralized in Westminster. Of course, we've got the Scottish Parliament and we've got local government, but we haven't got the equivalent of, for example, the New York Assembly, for example. And so oh. that's one of the positive things about the American system. Oh. And you yeah, guys got your first uh, oh sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Oh. Yeah. Tanya, did you have anything? Oh, I'm just I'm listening oh, and, and are you listening? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm but I'm sorry, go ahead, Denise. Oh no no, you go ahead. I was I was just I was like, Anya, did you have anything? Because I know that if you know, any thought comes to mind. <laughs> Did you have anything you wanted to mention? I, I'm honestly enjoying hearing Zev uh, explain a lot of things. So <laughs> I'm still processing. And then everyone else is and I'm like, okay, okay. I mean, it's very interesting. I mean, law in and of itself, like Obi asked a good question, like how, what's different? Because, you know, look, like there's, Israel, like places in Europe and the U.S., is an actual democracy, and, you know, there are different kinds of laws, and, yes, there are things that are different, but there are things that are the same, you know, or in the same spirit, right? You know, um, there are free elections, and and so there's a lot of interesting things. I'm just, I'm I'm listening and learning and enjoying the learning. Yeah, yeah, because it's, it's, it's it's so many things. It is so many things. It's it's just a lot, a lot of things that is going on because even you know the Zev when he mentioned how uh, the difference uh, with Britain, uh, the they can't you know have that anti-Semitism like you you know can have in America that it's limited. And Zev, I I just found that very interesting and. Um, I think that is um, an awesome law because people should not, in my opinion, be able to go in the streets and spew hatred towards other people because they could cause, you know, different things to happen. I think that's a very good law. And you know what? In some ways, it's not limiting. It's not limiting the freedom of speech. It's actually, you know, it's protecting people from anti-Semitism, from racism. It's actually a protection. So that's, that's, that's something. I didn't know, you know, that the U.K. had that. <laughs> you know, not, oh, sorry, yeah, go ahead, Zeph. You want to answer? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, there's a number of, there's a number of acts. We've got the Race Relations Act. We've got the Equalities Act, the, the Public Order Act, which covers things like uh, incitement to racial hatred including anti-Semitism. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying there are serious problems of anti-Semitism here, but I think in America, you know, you're right, Denise, it's not about limiting freedom of speech, it's about protecting minority. You have to balance in law, you have to balance the rights of the majority with with, with, with the rights to protect the minority as well. So, yeah, it's not right. limiting freedom of speech, but it's protecting a, a minority from 
racial hatred. And I think the, the race relations laws in the, in the United Kingdom are much stronger than they are in America. And that's something would would be quite good to be, for America that's, to adopt. Uh, in the you, you know what?
it is a historic moment, but he he is the leader of the Conservative Party in this country, and it was viewed slightly different. He was viewed as the leader of the Conservative Party, and there wasn't much fun there. There was a few comments in newspapers that, you know, this is a good thing that we've got the first Asian Prime Minister, but it certainly wasn't on any way near the scale of the United States. He was he was previously Chancellor of Exchequer. He's a very competent Chancellor, in my view. Uh, he, he, he did some good things, depending on your political persuasion, but looking objectively, he did a few good things. And he became Prime Minister, and he just accepted that he'd become Prime Minister as leader of the Conservative Party. And it, it just wasn't, like, nowhere near what happened in America, which was a really big thing when you had Barack Obama as the first African-American president. Yeah. Interesting. That's yeah. very pragmatic. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of him, but, yeah. I I thought, you know, because I, I, I thought, you know, there were others who said, hey, he's not the first black president in America because there were some guys that were mixed like he was. You know, I've heard that before, but <laughs> yeah, I heard that too. You yeah. know, they said that they were uh, there were other diverse presidents. He wasn't the first, uh, but well, I'll, anyway, I'll tell you this. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, I know one of the presidents, uh, Warren, is a relation to my family line, President Warren, and um, right. he's actually he's actually mixed. And then you get um. Uh, the other one, which is I heard uh, Lincoln uh, was by Lincoln, had, Lincoln heard Abraham Lincoln and Harding and Jackson Harding also. Yeah, right. And if and you so, go if you go you beyond know. that, if you go beyond that, at the beginning, uh, the, the there was a black a black president, and he's and that was during the Civil War, but he was only in office for a year, and that's when right. the Civil War was going on. He actually brought that to an end. So from you know what I've huh. read, so. Yeah. So, and so yeah, and I was. So I'm then, sorry. So that's your, Oh, he had full problems, guys. That's why you didn't hear him on Zev. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm so sorry. Listening. I was having problems. I was having problems, yeah. and I, you know, my my wife sent me out on a, on a mission. You know what I'm saying? So I I had to go and drive, <laughs> and I lost my communications for a minute. So I got got it back, but. Um, it's been interesting when I this is Billy He's the one that's uh, the uh, Motown, and he uh, is the host of the chat reel here on another Caribbean radio show. <laughs> yes. So. Thank you so much. Yeah. And like I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning a lot from this, you know. So I just kind of sat back for a bit just to listen, and um, I was, like, trying to get back on. I'm like, man, I hope she don't think I'm not listening. I'm listening off and on. So yes, but uh, no, no, I know. <laughs> but uh, I appreciate and you, uh, and that. Uh, is a wonderful guest. <laughs> he's a wonderful yes. guest because I'm learning a lot too. I he he's teaching us a bit about the Caribbean juice because I didn't know, you know, some of the information he shared. I didn't know about it, and then the Kick It Out Working Group in yeah. um, the UK yes. and. You and, know, uh, they're working on anti-Semitism. It's great. Good, good. Um, like I said, I just felt that, uh, you know, that what I heard was amazing because we know that there has to be Jews all over, like what you're saying. You know, so we have to start coming together as a whole and, and make it a one situation and not let media separate us from the reality of what it is. 
because that's what's going on. We're all being separated in groups instead of being all as one because they get more power. The 1% gets more power by keeping us separated, coming together. So you got, what, 12, 13 families that actually run the whole show. And, and it's got the other 99% are just sitting back taking orders. So we have to come together as a whole. And I, I'm good, so I'll, I thank you for letting me Taking along. <laughs> you're fine. Taking along, sir. Yeah, yeah, depends what? what we've got we've all got a duty we've got a duty in this world as Denise quite rightly points out that we have to try the world is damaged and we need to do our contribution to to whatever we can to make the world in a better state and to make our small small contributions. So there's a whole concept as Denise says in Judaism about repairing the world to make it a better world for future generations and to try and so the future generations will look, will will have a better world, inherit a better world than the world that we're living in at the moment. So if yeah. you see somebody hungry, there's there's a duty. Yeah, you know, and it's just a It's the puzzle pieces. We're all little puzzle pieces, and we're important. And each, I, I believe, each good thing that a person do it it carried on to the next person and the next person and the next person. And it's like a spiritual band aid. Because, you know, you're repairing you could be repairing just a nice smile or a kind word. You could be repairing somebody's heart. Wound you know, you're repairing wounds. You're sending out those spiritual band aids that, you know, that's repairing them. And that's causing them to pass that on. I think each thing we do is so important. And Jeff, what you're doing is just so important. Um, you are you are a teacher of public employment law and criminal justice. Um, you you give a lot of lectures um, at um, the university. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm employed full time at the university, so my my week is based around lectures, and I'm going to be doing some research in the future, but mainly lectures uh, on public law employment. So it's important because you help to nurture the future generation. So as I said yeah. at the start of the show, I like to impart uh, information, and and I like to see my students develop in their as their in their student careers and to become members of society and to contribute to the economy and to their own livelihood. So there's no greater satisfaction than a lecture for, for from a lecturer's point of view than to see a student who does really well in the exams and the assignments and then goes on to having a career in law. Now it doesn't always happen with everybody because it's not easy. But you don't right. you know, when I see somebody coming from a say a diverse background and succeeds and goes on to be a barrister. You you you, you don't get more satisfaction than, than that in life, in my view. Uh, and you have a you have a small contribution to play. Only recently, one of my students asked me for a reference for a job that he was he, he's he's just been employed in a solicitor's firm and asked me for a reference. He thought I gave him a marvelous reference. So you make you make a small contribution. In that way, you're making a small contribution towards the betterment of humanity. Wow. And, man, I am just blown away. 
I know you're making a big difference to those students, and I know that you have a lot of students looking up to you at what you do. Um, yeah, I admire what you're doing, <laughs> and I'm sure um, the rest of us, I mean, any time, Zeb, that um, you would like to come on, you are welcome to come on and give us a little bit more of everything that you do, the lecturing. And um, again, I wanted to uh, mention the Kick It Out Working Group on Antisemitism. Um, those who would like to participate or those who want to take part in this group uh, with Zev Portner in the UK, um, you could go to my group. And we, he will give me the information and, the, you know, I will give him the information or he will coach me on the information to give you to contact him so that you could learn more about it. And I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm just, I'm just thrilled. Obi? Anya? Yes. Billy? Anything else <laughs> you guys want to <laughs> mention to Zach? No, I... <laughs> Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Thank yeah, you so thank much. Thank you, brother. Thank you yeah. for your time. All right. Take care. Oh, and, um, well, I guess at this time, Billy, he dropped off, but he says thank you. And, Zev, I mean, what a wonderful guest you are because, I mean, just what you share with us, we learned a whole lot. No, I, I'm glad for your, your very kind words, Denise. I learned a whole lot from you as well <laughs> tonight about situation in America and Israel. So it's a two-way process. Learning is a two-way process, you know, in life. And I like to listen. And it's very kind of you to offer, offer me the opportunity to come on your program again. I will only do so if I have something of major significance to speak about. Cause you've oh, got yeah. Other, there's two people that you need to interview in your program, and I won't want to hog the time, but it's been a real pleasure to be speaking to you today. And to oh, well, you're not hogging the time. <laughs> we, in, we, enjoy, we enjoy having you in everything. And um, I wanted to mention to everyone, we're having a, a special program. It's going to be live. Um, it's going to be live tomorrow. 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and we are going uh, to be on live with Nisam Black. Um, he is a rapper, a recording artist. Uh, he Anya, <laughs> yeah, we will. He's very, very popular in Israel. We will be uh, discussing uh, his career how he uh, came into being uh, into Judaism. So uh, it's going to be a very, very uh, uplifting and interesting uh, conversation. And our present guest, <clears throat> Zev, I would love it if, uh, if you, if you, I don't know if you have a minute to tune in, but I'm going to save it and um you know, so that you can listen to it as well. Uh, but um, I I would love, Zev, if you came back on and talked a little bit more, too, about 
uh, your projects, you know, your kick it out working group on anti-Semitism, because you know what, that's, that's something that, you know, constantly happens in the Jewish world. People are uh, being challenged, you know, with, with things like that, with anti-Semitism. And I mean, you know, you're welcome. Like I said, you're welcome to come on anytime you'd like. Oh, yeah, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be making every endeavor to listen to your show with Nick in Black. I'm, I'm a big fan of his, and he, he's a great singer. Aww. So it'd be very interesting to see what he says and listen to the interview. So you've got a real coup to have Nick him on tomorrow. He's, he's, he's well known in Israel, but also he's very well known in the African American community. And I believe he plays a very important role in trying to bring both the American Jewish community and the African American community. He plays a role in trying to bring these communities together, and he represents he the best of both communities. Oh yes, yes he does. Correct. And just so you guys know, I don't know if he'll he'll he's he's pretty humble about this part, but he uh, he's here right now in the U.S. because he also not only performed for the C Teen, which is the Chabad Teen uh, Leadership Movement, but he also spoke mm. to them. And he is so incredibly generous with the young people and, like, trying to show them, you know, good things and, and being honest about his journey. And I just, you know, uh, it's one of the things I'll be speaking to him about later this week uh, as well. <laughs> We're having, like, a new seems like. Oh, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, he, he really, he's a very interesting person with a, an, uh, an incredible past. Um, yeah. So that's my two cents. Yes. Yes, and it's going it's going to be exciting what's coming. Um well guys, I just thank you so much for participating in today's program. And Zev, what a wonderful uh program, what wonderful information that you gave us. Well we we, we appreciate you in any time. Anytime you'd like to come on and Anya I know that everyone is looking forward to hearing more from you. <laughs> so, anyway, at this time, <laughs> you will hear more from Anya, Zev. <laughs> but I'm sure, I'm sure time, I will. I'm sure I will. Yes, you will. <laughs> but at this I'm time. Sure <laughs> yeah. At this time, we are going to say bye until tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. We will be interviewing Nissan Black. So, everyone, if you want to hear the live recording, tune in. I want to thank everybody for listening in on CRS Radio, the Black Jewish Queen live chat with our special guest, Zev Potner. We had a wonderful time. Thank you so much. We sure did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you for, so we much sure for joining us. Sure yes. <laughs> and Zev, thank you. Okay. And Anya, thank you so much for coming in. And we will be talking soon. Bye. Take so care, everyone. Yeah, bye. 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 <laughs>